Well, it's an exciting day. It's great to be together to, uh, for the baptism of Annie this morning. But not just that. It's three days until Christmas. It's the 22nd of December, and both my Advent calendars tell me it's not long to go yet. And so I wonder how uh, the preparations are going for you uh, with three days to go. Decorations all up, I hope. Presents all bought, maybe or maybe not. I'm relying on Amazon Prime that it won't let me down, and the last present will be delivered tomorrow. Uh, presents all wrapped, maybe, if you're uh, organized and don't leave it till Christmas Eve. It's a great time of year, Christmas. It's a wonderful, happy time of year. Family, songs, food, presents. What's not to like about Christmas? And yet, in the midst of the joy and the celebration, for many people, as we've just prayed about and thought about, for many people, and maybe for you, Christmas can be a really tough time of year. Can we afford all the presents this year? Maybe it's the first Christmas for you without a loved one around the table. Maybe at Christmas the feeling of loneliness is just intensified that little bit more. Maybe we just have the battle of trying to keep all the relatives happy, to not show favoritism and to get round them all over the Christmas period. And what the outside world loves to say, it almost makes Christmas all the harder. And so the, the food adverts tell us that it's really easy to cook a perfect Christmas dinner for 18 people and everyone to be happy. And it's cheap. <laughs> and so with all the happy families, with all the music singing, well, the world just seems so removed from the reality. There seems to be such a disjunct between what Christmas is meant to be and what we hope it to be, and for many, for what the reality Christmas is. Can anything, can anything marry the two? Or are we just forced to put the smile on and think it's Christmas and leave all the troubles for January to pick up? Well, I don't know what you made of the passage as it was read out. Maybe not uh, your choice of passage for a baptism service. I wonder um, whether you've ever read it before. I wonder if you have read it before, but just prefer to sort of ignore it and put it to one side. We don't need to think about that kind of passage, do we? But I wonder as we look into this passage, as we go back to the first Christmas, we see those two disjuncts being married together. We see the joy and the happiness of Christmas that the angels and the shepherds and the wise men bring, and yet we see it in the midst of suffering and darkness. We see a first Christmas that can marry these two things together. And so for Annie and for family and friends, we hope and we pray that she'll have a wonderful life ahead. And yet we know that in the reality of the world around, that it will be tough. And so can anything marry these things together? Can Jesus, in fact, offer a hope in the world around us? Well, let's have a look at this passage, and as we look into the details of what goes on, let's see if maybe Jesus can bring a hope this Christmas time. I wonder if you noticed it as the passage was read out. It's shaped around these three fulfillments of prophecy, and so uh, these are predictions or promises from God in the past of what will happen. And so uh, Matthew uses this refrain, so was fulfilled what the Lord has said in verses 15 and 17 and 23. So keep your passage open, page 966, as we work through these fulfillments of prophecy. 
and see what God has to say to us this morning. Here's the first thing we're going to see, the comfort of Jesus, the comfort of Jesus. It's a horrendous storyline, isn't it? What's happened to bring us to this point in history? If you know your Christmas story or just glance back to the previous passage, we'll know the Magi have just visited the baby Jesus. And Herod has told them, verse 8, that he wants the Magi to report back to him where he can find them so he can go as well. And yet the Magi are warned in a dream to avoid Herod, to return by a different route. And Herod's not too pleased. He realized he's been outwitted by the Magi. And so, verse 16, he's furious. Why is this? Well, this newborn baby is a threat to King Herod. He's a threat to his rule. You see, Herod was a bloodthirsty leader. Herod got his power through buying and threatening his way there. He kept his power through threat and through fear. Jewish historians record that during his reign, King Herod had three of his sons murdered. And as he prepared for his own death, he was so worried that people wouldn't mourn for him that he ordered for certain people to be killed on his death day so that if people weren't mourning for him, they'd certainly be mourning for someone. That's the King Herod we're dealing with here. And so on this first Christmas, what's his reaction to the newborn baby? Well, verse 16, he's furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were under two years, who were two years and under. It's a horrendous suffering. It's unimaginable, something we'd never want to consider in this day and age. And Matthew brings out and highlights this by using the prophecy in verses 17 and 18. Have a look down. This what, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Here, Jeremiah in the Old Testament is speaking about the weeping of the people of Israel as they're taken over by Babylon. As Babylon takes over Israel, they kill some of the people, they take the others off into exile. And and Rachel, who's mentioned here, Rachel was seen as, as the mother of Israel. And so the image that's given is that Rachel is in her grave weeping and mourning as her children, the descendants, are either killed or taken away into exile. How does Matthew say this is fulfilled here? Well, not only is there great weeping and mourning at the slaughter of those innocent children, but also Matthew says Jesus here is caught up in that suffering. Jesus is exiled from his own country. This is the situation into which baby Jesus is born into. The threat of his life, born into immediate homelessness, born as a refugee forced to flee his own country, not even two years old, and he's forced to flee for his life. The call is out to kill him, and if they can't find him, well, let's get rid of all the boys under two, so we make sure he's covered. Not even two years old, and he experiences the darkness of the world. This is how God chooses to enter into this world as a baby. 
And it's hard not to see the darkness and the suffering in the world around us. I'm sure you've seen in the past year or so images on TV and newspapers of, of children trying to escape the horrors of their own country, forced to be refugees in foreign countries if they're able to get there. The reality is that there's plenty of suffering in the world today. But there's not just suffering out there, distant, but for so many people, and for maybe for you this morning, there's suffering in here as well, closer to home. And maybe, sure, not to this extent, but suffering in darkness nonetheless. And so whilst Christmas, as we've said, can be a wonderful time, a happy time, Christmas can also just serve to mask that darkness, or opposite, to intensify that darkness. And the worst thing that it can be for people is that no one knows it. No one realizes it. Or if they do know it, they just don't get it. I wonder if you've ever had that feeling of, of, or experience of meeting someone um, where immediately you just click. They get you, you get them, there's that instant connection. Could be about anything, whether it's you've, um, you've been abroad in a foreign country. You, you feel like a complete stranger. And, and then you meet someone, not just from your own country, but from your hometown. And, and instantly there's that connection. Instantly there's that link. Or maybe it's more recently at work at the staff Christmas party. Not only do you have to work with them during the day, you have to socialize with them at the staff Christmas party in the evening. And, and you just don't click with anyone, it seems. And as you're talking to people, eventually you meet that person who likes the same music or the same band as you or supports the same football team as you. And they get you. There's that instant connection. And so when it comes to suffering... We long for that person who gets us, who doesn't just say, I know what you're going through, but says it and actually means it. Well, in the very first Christmas, in Jesus, we have a God who can relate to our suffering. We have a God who's not distant or disconnected from suffering. We have a God who has gone through suffering, who was born into suffering, who was forced to flee for his life, and not just as a baby, but throughout his life faced suffering. We have a God who knows us, a God who relates to us, a God who can authentic, authentically say, I know what you're going through. And so this Christmas, whatever your Christmas day might look like, in the midst of darkness, Know that you are not alone. Know there is one who knows what you're going through. And so for the Christian, that is a wonderful comfort. To know that you are never alone in our suffering. And so maybe you're here and, and, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Well, this can be yours. A God who relates to the darkness a God who you can turn to at any time, a God who will never leave you on your own. It's a wonderful comfort to know. But not only is it a comfort that God can relate to our suffering, but also there's the hope that he can do something about our suffering, the hope of Jesus. 
And so we see in our story, in light of the threat to Jesus' life, God acts through an angel appearing to Joseph in a dream in order to protect his son. Have a look down at verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. God protects his son. But God doesn't just act simply to protect his son from harm. No, no, it's part of a greater story. There's more than that going on. Have a look down, verse 14. He, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. This, again, is is part of a wider prophecy fulfillment. And so this prophecy here is given by Hosea. And as Hosea speaks, he points the people who are listening to him back to the history of Israel. He reminds them of the history of Israel. But not only does he point backwards, he also points forwards and says there will be one coming who will be like Israel, but who will be greater. And so Matthew says here, Here he is. Here is the one who is like Israel. And so we see in Jesus the similarities with the country of Israel. And so they fled, and they both started life in Egypt. And if you know your history of the uh, nation of Israel, you'll know that after they left Egypt, they went wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. And if you just look over the page at chapter 4, and you see in the heading, Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. And after the wilderness, uh, Moses takes them up Mount Sinai to receive from God his teaching and his commands. And if you're to flick over uh, into chapter 5, where, does G- we, where do we find Jesus? On the mountainside, teaching the commands of God. Yet here's the difference. Where Israel failed, Jesus doesn't. Another Israel is needed, and Jesus is the greater Israel. He's come to deliver and to rescue his people. He's come to bring hope. Hope can be a wonderful thing in some senses. I'm sure we all live in the hope of something, whether it's the hope of of change of circumstances in the future, hope of better job, better health, better financial situation. Maybe we hold on to the hope of of finding that one who will love us or or to have a family in the future. Maybe it's a much simpler thing, the hope of what a new manager can bring a new football club at this time of year. For, For Dan and Sarah, there'll be many hopes for Annie as she grows up. The danger is, though, that so often our hope can be a kind of fingers crossed, wishful thinking kind of, I really hope this happens. You see, here's the wonder of Jesus. He doesn't just provide a comfort for us in the darkness by saying, I know what you're going through. He also provides hope by saying, I can do something about it. And this hope isn't a fingers-crossed kind of wishful thinking hope. No, this hope is based in in space, time, and history. 
It's not a made-up fairy tale that we like to believe because it just brings a nice feeling inside. No, it's based on history. It's a sure and a certain hope. And so whilst there's no promise that we'll never face suffering in this world, there is a promise that there will one day be a day where the suffering is no more. Can you imagine that? A day where there is no darkness, only light. A day where there is no sadness, only joy. A day when there is no evil, only goodness. I look around at the world around me. I, I look closer to home at my own life, and, and I cry out for that day. Do you? This is a sure and a certain hope for all those who follow Jesus. So the comfort of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, and so thirdly, as we look at the last of these prophecy fulfillments, we see the rescue of Jesus. Have a look down at the last few verses from verse 19. Let me read those to us. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now Herod's gone, it's safe to return. But in Herod's place is Archelaus, Herod's son. And so with that is the worry and the danger that Joseph just thinks, well, surely it will just be like father, like son. And so through a dream again, the family withdraw to Galilee, the northern district, outside of Archelaus' reign. And they end up in Nazareth, again fulfilling what the prophets have said. However, this prophecy is slightly different. In fact, nowhere in the Old Testament is Nazareth mentioned within a prophecy. And so what's going on? Well, I wonder if you notice the slight differences in how Matthew records this prophecy. In the previous prophecies, Matthew mentions one prophet, that it's fulfilled through the prophet, what the prophet said. Here, it's plural, the prophets, referring to more than one prophecy. And also in previous ones, he quotes a prophet directly, whereas here he just refers to the prophets and the prophecy, that he would be called a Nazarene. You see, what Matthew is doing is he's picking up on a number of prophecies which tell us what God's promised king is going to be like. And so the expectation, the consensus of the prophecies from the Old Testament are pointing forward to a king that we would not be expecting. God's promised king will be a king that we would not expect him to be. No, he'll be lowly, born in a manger, in a stable, rather than a palace that we might expect a king to be in. He'll flee for his life, not with the security that we'd expect a king to have, and so this phrase that Matthew uses, that he will be called a Nazarene, picks up on this because Nazareth is not the place you want to live. It's certainly not a place for God's promised king. 
to try and think of the kind of modern-day equivalent is a dangerous job because you just know that any modern-day equivalent I choose, there'll be someone here from that place. So rather than go for my opinion, I Googled it. And the worst place to live in the UK, it might come as a surprise, the worst place to live in the UK is Peterborough. Now, I've not been to Peterborough. Maybe you've been to Peterborough. If you think it's decent, then come and tell me at the end. But apparently, you don't want to live in Peterborough. The residents there aren't that complimentary about it. Avoid Peterborough. Don't choose to live in Peterborough. You don't want to be known as coming from Peterborough, apparently. And so similarly here, Matthew's saying you don't want to be known as coming from Nazareth. You see, Matthew points us to the reality of who this baby is. He's a baby from lowly, despised Nazareth. Throughout his life, he experienced rejection from his hometown, from his family, from the authorities. His life was ended by being murdered in his 30s. And even since then, in the, in the whole of history, we see constant rejection of Jesus to the point now that almost we can't have Christmas with baby Jesus. It's so far removed. And yet, Matthew says, if there's to be hope in the suffering, well, this promised king will have to experience that suffering himself. If there is to be light shone into the darkness, well, this promised king will have to experience the darkness for himself. And so the greatest darkness that Jesus experienced wasn't fleeing his country to go to a foreign land at the beginning of his life. No, it was around 30 years later when another murder charge went out against him, when he was nailed to a cross and there was darkness all around him as he took on the complete rejection and evil and suffering of the world. But this darkness brings light for us all. This suffering brings hope to us all. He suffers so that we don't have to. He experiences rejection so we can be accepted. He experiences death so that we can have life. He has no home so that we can come home. And so then, as we finish, how, how are we meant to respond to a passage like this? Well, I wonder if there's a challenge to respond a little bit like Joseph did, to have faith and obedience like Joseph. Do you notice what he does throughout? Matthew wants to emphasize this by using the same language all the way through. Have a quick look down. Verse 13, the angel says, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. So, verse 14, he got up, he took the child and his mother, and left for Egypt. And again, verse 20, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. And so, verse 21, he got up, he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Word for word, obedience. Can you imagine it for Joseph? I'm sure he had questions and didn't have all the answers about what was going on. I'm, I'm sure he would prefer to stay put and not to take his whole family and move and leave for a foreign country. And yet he's obedient to God's call. He trusts that God's know, God knows best for him. 
And so it's our prayer for Annie as she grows up. It's our prayer for her family, her friends. It's our prayer for all of us that this Christmas time, in the good times and in the darker times, will we trust in the one who is able to relate to us in our suffering and is able to bring light and hope into our darkness? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that as you came into this world as a baby, you're not removed from our darkness and our suffering. But as a little child, Jesus experienced that for himself and throughout his life. Thank you that you relate to us and bring a comfort to us in our darkness. Thank you that not just a comfort, that you bring a hope to us in our darkness. And thank you that as a result of what Jesus has gone through on the cross for us, there is rescue for us too. In your name we pray. Amen.